All right, glory to God. What do you guys want to talk about? Well, I'll open up with something funny. Full disclosure, the Bible says confess your sins one to another. <laughs> so Wednesday night at Bible study, Greg looked at me and go, Nat, you got oh. something? It looks like you're twisting on something. And I... My immediate response is denial. I can't let them know what I'm really thinking. I was really, and so I lied. <laughs> I'm just tired. I was just soaking it all in. It was more, I am twisting on something. I'm twisting on recipes for when we go to Chicago to see my sons for Easter. And planning out everything and what day I'm going to shop and what I need to buy. And that's what... So now y'all know. <laughs> and I was not you. paying attention. <laughs> I was, and then I just zoned out. And, 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 <laughs> I saw that on the recording. I was wondering, what was she thinking? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, know. We, we all know. We all know. We all know. <laughs> and we were good with it. Was it weighing on your conscience, all this stuff? It was. <laughs> <laughs> This is a guilt-free zone. <laughs> 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 so, I feel very secure confessing my sins. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you going to cook for your son? Does <laughs> <laughs> anybody else want to? Does anybody else want to confess something? Yeah. <laughs> people are lying when they say they understand what Greg is talking about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was lying for like three years. <laughs> Fake it till you make it. time. It's time to unwind. God just unwinds it. Yeah, he does it. Yeah, so the one I'm working on now is resisting sin is a passive activity. <clears throat> um, that one, um, that like goes against everything that I've ever been taught from the beginning. And when you stop to think about it, it, and you understand God is Father, it makes sense. Yep. It makes sense. So. Well, if you had a virus in you, and then you were inoculated, you wouldn't be doing the work that the inoculation is doing. Right. That's it's a good analogy. That's the vaccine. Yeah. That's, that's the whole problem with how the Hebrew people looked at the law. It, just to use the biblical pictures, their resisting of sin was the offering of the bulls and goats and the cleansings yes. and the baptisms, all the rituals they were doing <laughs> to try to perfect their own lives from sin and death. Right. They were resisting sin. Peter, when they came to take Jesus away, that was a great injustice. Mm -hmm. Peter pulled out the sword and he came. He was resisting sin. Right? right, But they were looking to their own strength to resist sin right. instead of looking to the strength of God to resist sin. Mm -hmm. Right, And the way God resists sin, do you know how God resists sin in you? He come and convinces you that he perfected your life from sin already. Yes, exactly. Because if you think your life has already been perfected from sin, you ain't trying to resist sin yourself. You're not trying to strive against it. See, we have this whole wrong concept of what striving against sin is. Peter was striving against sin with the sword. Mm -hmm. He was striving against that which he saw that was unjust, that was corrupt, that was the fruit of death. And so he was striving against sin with his own strength. Well, when you see that God strove against sin to the degree that he consumed it utterly through the body of Jesus' death and resurrection, what will happen is his strength to resist sin 
to purge death from the flesh will be manifested in you. And he'll be resisting in you, right? Right. And so the moment you could think there's something in your life that isn't consistent with life, but looks more like the fruit of death, and you're thinking about how you want your life to be cleansed from that, and you're thinking about how you you want to resist that, you'll, you'll look at God and you'll see how God strove against death inside of the body of Jesus on the cross, and then you'll find that as grace inside of you, yeah. right? The grace that's inside of you is what'll happen, is it'll cleanse your conscience from the death you see. Yes. It'll purge your conscience from the death you see. Because when you look in the body of Jesus, you don't see any death. No. You don't see any corruption. You don't see anything that isn't straight. Well, there's strength when you see, behold your life there, cleansed, no spots and blemishes. All of a sudden, you find great strength not to strive against sin yourself. You find great strength not to pick up the sword. You find great strength not to come off the cross. And we always define sin by what we do after we come down off the cross. But the real thing is you being put to rest while the world is nailing you to a tree. That's Mm -hmm. how sin is resisted, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Does that make any sense? Yes. That's what it says about Jesus, for the glory that was set before him. What glory? He saw the glory shared with the Father from the beginning. Even though he he didn't see that glory in his physical flesh while he was nailed to the tree, he saw the glory he shared with the Father. He knew that that the Father wouldn't suffer him to see corruption, and he remembered what the glory was. And so that glory that he saw with the Father, that's the same thing as us beholding our lives in Jesus, the glory set before us. Like Paul come and said, uh, for this light affliction in comparison to the glory yeah. that will be revealed in us. Right. Listen, that will strengthen you not to come down <laughs> off the cross because you'll see that glory has strove against sin. Mm-hmm. It is striving against sin. It shall strive against sin. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you, the grace comes alive inside of you. Not grace to do the right thing. Grace not to come down off the cross. Right. Because if your flesh is put to rest, if it's been nurtured and relaxed, what will happen is, is God's life will come pouring out of you. Yeah. Right? Right. So anyway, yeah. someone else can take over. Because no, so anyway, no one understands any of that anyway. No, no, that's not true at all. You definitely plowed the ground over time. And I was raised on a farm, so obviously you begin with garbage as far as the ground prep, but you plowed the ground over time, so it's much more receptive soil, if you will. It really is. And one side comment, we were just chit-chatting out there in the foyer, maybe on the way out as far as Monday morning, and you know, uh, unlike Annette, many of us are tempted to uh, gloss over our little frailties but you brought up that, uh, oh yeah, the weird thing is that uh, uh, Paul rejoiced in his weaknesses. He wasn't being sarcastic. It wasn't a joke. Right. Because he said, I rejoice my weaknesses. Then he's a yak, yak, yak. Then he comes back to it again. And I rejoice my weaknesses. He said, hey, that's because that just prompted him to seek the living Christ. Right. Uh, along the same lines. Yeah, yeah. I like the analogy you brought. I believe it was Wednesday night about the desk thing with the balls. Oh yeah, and that, isn't that called kinetic energy? Yes. Yeah. And how something gets set in motion like that. Romans seven five says, "For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we're dealing with the motions of life, and they'll set things in motion. And as we just fellowship with that word, it's so set with so." We see so many things in the scriptures that tell us what this life of God will do in us, 
and there's this thing that makes us think we we need to get busy doing, doing it. it right but what he's trying to get across to is it it'll do it if we just fellowship <laughs> with it as we behold it in him that transformation takes place on the inside of us it sets that thing in motion and we're just along for the ride like <laughs> pow 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 kinetic energy Right? I think it's a good thing to acknowledge that it's not easy to change the way you believe about something. Right. Because for someone new coming in, that could be a blessing for them to hear. Because when they feel discouraged because they're not experiencing what everyone else is experiencing, for them to know it's hard, they could be like, it's going to take time. Yeah. I think people, I mean, we, we've had this conversation before. I think people do understand I think what really is going on is they have cognitive dissonance. Yeah. And what I'm saying contradicts their whole life, world, philosophy, and view. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes, you have two things colliding. <laughs> boom, 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 right? And I mean, I remember the first time I saw that that was Jesus still on the cross in Psalm 23. And that he said he lacks nothing and his cup runs over. Yeah. Now, I understood what it said. But at first, I was like, I don't want to be on a tree saying my cup runneth over. I don't want to be on the tree. And then I'll say my cup runneth over. That, you see, because the carnal mind comes in. The carnal, I mean, Paul said it this way. He said that, uh, he says, the spirit lusts against the flesh. Yes. And the flesh lusts against the carnal mind. It ain't that people don't understand. I speak in English. Is that what I'm saying is lusting against the carnal mind. Exactly. It's warring against what their carnal mind has decided is unto life. Yes. And they don't want to hear that. Nope. And they don't want to contemplate that. Nope. And they don't want to consider that. Right? I'm okay with that. I went through the same thing. That doesn't bother me. Yeah. Right? Um, that's really the... It draws a contradiction. The, the, the words of the gospel is like a two-edged sword. And it comes and draws a... Jesus said, I came to bring the sword. He wasn't just talking about, well, there's going to be problems now because of what I said, and people will be upset. That was a function of it, because anytime you divide asunder the carnal mind from the spiritual mind, there's going to be a problem. Yes. And so that's really what's going on. Every time you're speaking words that are spirit, you're drawing a line, right? And you're dividing asunder, and here you are, right? And there can be cognitive dissonance, because all of us are adults. I don't know if you realize it, but from the day you're born, you're building your worldview. You're building your philosophy about life. Whether you know it or not, you're observing things with your eyes and your senses, and you're deciding what it means about life, about you, about your surroundings, and then you're taking that and you're sticking it in your heart. And that is shaping the way you view life. It is shaping the way you feel about life, how you can have life, what will keep you from life. It's shaping all of that. And the wisdom of the world does not... It is not compatible with the wisdom of God. And the wisdom of God, like Paul come and said, is foolishness to the wisdom of the world. It is foolishness to it. They hear it and they're like, what? It contradicts everything. And so there's a grappling that goes on, right? That's why I talk about the wrestling. You're not wrestling with God. It's that you and God are wrestling with your own carnal mind, right? God is on your side doing the wrestling. It's not that he's against you, it's that he's for you. You're busily wrestling with the carnal mind, and he's coming on your behalf and wrestling with you, right? He's sorting it out. But that's really what the striving of sin is, right? We've gotten so focused on behavior and defining behavior as sin instead of the works of the flesh, we don't even know what it means to strive against sin. And really, when I come talking about it, people don't want to hear it. 
People don't want to hear not to take up the sword and kill their enemies. Because people think their enemies are in the way of them having life. So don't come and tell me about how it ain't the right way to kill my enemies and that can't give me life because I want them out of the way. Right? Peter didn't want to hear that Jesus was going to the cross. He didn't want to hear it. And what did Jesus say when Peter said that? Get thee behind me, Satan. Now, he wasn't calling Peter Satan, but he was saying that was the, the wisdom of the serpent, right? And so we don't want to hear that kind of a thing. I know I didn't want to hear some of the things, right? And I'm just honest with God. Um, about it. And so just be honest with God about what you hear and what it means to you. But the striving against sin, when we encounter things in the world that aren't right, we're being tempted to strive against what we see isn't right. I'll use an example. When, when I was a little tiny kid, and this will, con- this will mess people's thinking of sin up, when I was a little tiny boy, and they told me I was too intense to play at recess. And they sat me out of recess for a couple months. That was sin. I was being tempted to strive against what I felt at being confronted with that. And I did try to strive against it. Because I went about trying to make sure that I was never making other people uncomfortable. And that no one ever felt pain in my presence. Because if I could ever see that they felt discomfort or uncomfortable in my presence, then that was a sign that my intensity is too much. And so I spent my whole life looking at other people, seeing if I'm making them uncomfortable or not. I was striving against sin. It's not right for them to feel uncomfortable. It's not right for me to feel uncomfortable. And so now I'm going to do something to where I don't feel uncomfortable anymore. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to temper my own intensity. I'm going to be ashamed of it. It's nakedness, and I'm going to clothe it, and I'm going to keep them from being uncomfortable around me. I was striving against sin. I saw the intensity as a spot and a blemish on my life, and I saw the intensity as a spot and a blemish on their life. And so now I was trying to perfect my life and perfect their life from the intensity. I was striving against sin. And so most all of us have something in our life that we say isn't right. That we want to be perfected. Right? Well, that's the cross moment. I mean, Jesus saw the death in his body. He knew that wasn't right. He was being tempted to strive against it. He was being tempted to perfect his life from the death of the cross. Right? And so we've all got encounters like that in our lives. Where we were tempted to pick up the weight of perfecting our lives from sin. That's what was going on there. I didn't know. Yeah. Right? Like when she cut when the teacher said that to me and I'm sitting there watching all the other kids playing, I was being nailed to the tree. Yeah. And I heard the voice. Come down off the cross. Clothe yourself. And I'm just connecting it to the life of Jesus and what that voice sounded like in my English language was do something about your intensity. If you can fix your intensity, that will perfect your life from sin. Right? And I didn't know anything about the gospel then, so I took that hook, line, and sinker. And so I began in my, whole, my life striving against the sin. Striving against the perfectionism that got born in me. Striving against everything I saw that wasn't right. Right? My whole life was born from 
doing everything straight and doing nothing crooked and striving against anything that could ever be crooked around me. My whole life was, I was striving against sin. See, that's the more accurate description of striving against sin. You're trying to perfect your life from that which you say isn't right. Now, that can look like the works of the flesh because our conscience has been stained with the knowledge of what is good and what is evil. Our conscience knows that the works of the flesh is the fruit of death. It's not life. Our conscience knows it's not life. Our conscience knows that the fruit of life is good. Peace and love and joy. We know that's good. That's why we don't like it when we don't feel peace. And so that's an aspect of it. If you see hatred and murder and envy and anxiety and fear, if you feel all that in your life, yeah, you're going to start trying to strive against that. But the only thing that can strive against fear, the only thing that can strive against anxiety, is a life that can't die, an indestructible life. The only thing that can strive against fear is eternal life. And so the whole point of the gospel is to get your eyes on that which will strive in you. And the way it strives in you is it nurtures your flesh unto rest. You know, like a baby, the way you comfort a baby unto sleep. You rock a baby. The baby's full of anxiety, angst, its flesh is restless, and you rock the baby and you put the baby down. Eternal life will rock you and nurture you to rest. It will be a balm on your flesh that is being compelled to labor in the midst of fear, the fear of death. That woman telling me, you're too much. Other kids, all the kids love you, but you're too much. That was the fear of death sure. that I was confronted with, the fear that my life wasn't right and that my life was now being harmed by what she was saying. I have a corruptible life, right? I'm not as I ought to be. I'm not in the state that I ought to be in. Look, look at this fruit. I began striving against that, right? I still feel that to this day, almost not anymore. But when we first started this church, I thought I was free the moment people, what do you think I heard? You're too much. You talk too loud. You speak too fast. You move your hands too much. You talk too much about the scriptures. I want to hear stories. You're too much. You know what I felt? The same thing I felt. Get me up out of this place. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just causing people pain. I was, see, I was being tempted to strive against sin. Right. Do you see? Yeah. That's the real dynamic that is at war in this world. Right? And that's what was going down in the book of Hebrews. Striving against death. That's the easiest way you could think of it. And you can, hopefully in me sharing a perfect example and trying to connect that. See, in our own thinking, that doesn't make no sense what I just said till I just connected it. And in our own lives, we've all encountered things like that, right? That would be the same. Offering a sacrifice, trying to perfect yourself from death, that would be the same as you try, me trying to perfect the spots and blemishes of my intensity. The spots and blemishes it put on my life and the spots and blemishes it put on other people's lives. You're offensive. Oh, that's true. How can I perfect myself from this? Right? And it's so subtle, we can major on judging ourselves. Maybe not even other people so much, but ourselves, we can't. Um, you know I don't watch TV, but when I, when I walk past one, I might see a commercial about a woman. And if your hair is this color, 
you'll be happy. <laughs> if you're driving a Continental, you will be content. Yes, you, you know, will. it's so subtle. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's such a subtle message of, of deception. You know, if, our, if we aren't happy, if we aren't uh, at, 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 in love with ourselves and peace walking in there, we'll listen to that. Well, I'm, like you said, you were looking for, I was trying to change my... My um, uh, my too muchness. I was striving against the corruption right. that I saw in myself and in my life right. to fix it, to make it right. We all know it's right for something to be straight and it's wrong for it to be crooked. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Striving against sin is trying to make that what you see is crooked straight. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. In whatever area. Right? Peter said, what's straight is for Jesus to deliver us from oppression. It's not straight for him to go to the cross. So he pulls out his sword, striving against sin. What is it that came against Jesus? Sin. So Peter saw it was a sin for this guy to die. It was a sin for this guy to be nailed to a cross and crucified. And so then he was striving against sin. <laughs> but Jesus saw how the, the way you really strive against sin isn't by perfecting yourself from death, but by beholding the eternal life in the Father and how that eternal life makes all things straight. Right? Now that puts you to rest. Right? Because eternal life rests in the presence of death. Because eternal life is so much that it is. <laughs> eternal life don't have to work itself up to conquer death. You see what I'm saying? Eternal, like the, the kinetic energy thing, right? Eternal life is just always doing what it does. You get your eyes set on that eternal life, it will do what it's always doing, and it will do it inside of you, <laughs> right? <laughs> the Word will be made flesh inside of you, right? Does that make any sense? You guys see the striving against sin and what it actually looks like? We've turned it more into striving against the works of the flesh, right? Instead of seeing the works of the flesh are the result of us having come down off the cross, right? right? right. Exactly. Having come yeah. down off the cross in an attempt to make straight some injustice or corruption we see in our life. One of the things I did to temper myself was I got high all the time. Now that was a work of the flesh that ended up manifesting after I came down off the cross, right? After I looked to my own strength to perfect myself from injustice and corruption, what came forth, because the flesh doesn't have the ability to perfect itself, what came forth then was the works of the flesh, right? Well, that never perfected me from the corruption. That just like dulled my, my senses for a moment, right? Just the only true rest is in the living Christ. So my father, who was a dentist and... Millionaire, and in Virginia, not Texas, but in Virginia, had over a thousand acres. The last six years of his life, he lived with us. I said, he said, you know, Glenn, to tell you the truth, if I had to do it over again after World War II, was drafted, I just would have stayed in the army. In other words, the success was meaningless. I would have just had a desk job in the corner of some closet, and would have been better off than having the world. There was no rest in the worldly success, zero. Yeah. If he had to go back in the time machine, he would have said, screw it. 
It is hard. So the only rest is the living Christ. Yeah. Absolutely. People have tried and done it and have come up short by way of finding it elsewhere. That's right. And that's a great example. What you See, the carnal mind can come to the place where they realize they never found life in their success. Exactly. But do you see the conclusion the carnal mind will make? It must then mean if I uh, subjugate myself to poverty, exactly. then I could have found it. It's the same coin. Yeah, right. That's right. Right. It's just a different exactly. side of the same exactly. coin. Exactly. Right. Right. Right? That, yeah. you, you don't now find rest in de- debasing yourself. Right. Right? That's, that's the conclusion of the carnal mind. Well, I thought I'd find rest in success. Well, since I didn't find rest in success, it must mean I'll find rest in having nothing. It's not that you find rest in having nothing. It's that when you actually find rest, whether you have a lot or you have nothing means nothing. nothing. <laughs> right? That, that's actually how the dynamic goes down. Right? And so when I talk about, you know, uh, not having, losing everything, the carnal mind will just think of, I don't want to lose everything. Well, I'm talking about finding a rest that is yours and that comes alive inside of you, whether you have everything or you have nothing. But immediately the carnal mind is thinking of what it can have and what it doesn't have, mm-hmm. right? They're not even comprehending, right? But they're, they're being confronted, right? right. <laughs> and what d- doesn't make sense is how can I be at rest if everything's been taken away? That's the part they don't understand. That's not that they don't understand the words that I said. It's that they don't understand how they could be at rest if everything's gone. How can I be full of joy if I lose everything? How? 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 Hey, listen, that's what I was saying to God. How could Jesus say his cup runneth over while he's nailed to that cross? How? I understood the words, but I did not understand (laughs) how that could be. Do you see what I'm saying? Exactly. So at least know what it is you don't understand. I don't understand how that can be the truth. I hear, I see it, it's right there. (laughs) But you've got to help me, Lord Right? And he will. And all of a sudden, it will make sense to you. And I promise you, it makes sense to me now. And my whole life has changed. And I tell you what, that cross has been born inside of me. Right? And I'll never go back. You could offer me the whole world. I would, no. Why do you think Jesus didn't take the whole world when Satan took him up on a hill? Right? Yeah. He understood. It's kind of like the metaverse. Yeah, yeah. The metaverse, if you're not familiar, and I'm not super familiar with it, probably, it is this virtual world where you can um, have businesses and sell property, and it's this whole thing that uh, Facebook is getting into, and all these cyber architects. And you look at that and you say, well, that's not reality. That's so stupid. So, you know, and people are going to be selling and getting virtual currency, using virtual currencies and all this stuff. Well, it's kind of like how it is in this physical world. This this isn't reality either. <laughs> this is like we, we act as if it is, but it's like the metaverse. It's not going to last. Right. A lot of it's just kind of a figment of our imagination exactly. about how we can have value and worth. But it's like if you were outside the game, you'd say, that's so stupid. Why would you even play that game? Right. <laughs> oh, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. So, guys, that's what every one of us has something in our life that we probably think is not right. You're being tempted to perfect it. Yes. I'll tell you one thing I've gotten very comfortable with that used to bug the hell out of me for years. When I don't understand something, I don't worry about it. 
because I, I, I believe that God will give me understanding. Yeah. And so I don't have to figure anything out. Yeah. Glory to God. I'll just keep listening. And see, that's the, that's the <laughs> conclusion of the spiritual mind. The carnal mind would say, I don't have to figure anything out, therefore I won't listen. Right? There's no value in listening. That's what a person who's dwelling in the carnal mind, when they don't understand things, they'll try to justify their inability to understand or to follow. And the way they'll justify it is they'll say there's no value in listening. Right? The spiritual mind will say, no, no, no. God is working in me. God is bringing forth understanding. And I'm, my role is I just listen. I'm just going to sit at the feet of Jesus. And it's the burden of persuasion is on God. See, that's the, the mind of the Spirit actually dwelling in understanding when you don't understand. <laughs> right? It brings forth understanding even in the midst of you not understanding. What always helped me was when you said, even when your head isn't getting that, your heart is. Yeah. Yep, that's how the spiritual mind would think. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right? Even if my intellect isn't connecting all the dots yet, and I think that my intellect has conclusions that contradict what's being said, man, God is doing something in my heart. Mm-hmm. Right? So the stri- back to everybody's got something in their life that looks like corruption. You're being tempted to strive against it. You're being tempted to make it straight. Just like the Hebrews were offering animal sacrifices, trying to perfect themselves, sanctify themselves from sin. Yeah. That's what sanctification is. It's for your life to be set apart from corruption. Well, every one of us has got something in our life that we know ain't consistent with life. And we're being tempted to set ourselves apart from that. Right? right. Now, I'm not saying that you might not have an action that comes out of you, but whatever action that comes out of you, whatever wisdom comes out of you, let it be born from seeing that God hath already sanctified you from whatever corruption you see in your life. Instead of your action being born from, I must perfect my own life from this. Yeah. Do you see? Do you see the difference there? I mean, did Jesus do something that resulted in his life being perfected from sin? No. We say no, but I actually well, did. You I know mean, what he did? He believed. He believed. He beheld the glory that was set before him. Exactly. He saw the life he shared with the Father from the beginning. You know what he saw in that life? There's no sin in that life. There's no corruption in that life. There's no spots and blemishes in that life. And that put his flesh that had spots and blemishes, that put his life that had all corruption on it, it put his flesh to rest. And what came forth out of that? Perfection from sin and death. (laughs) First have your conscience cleansed from the corruption you see. And then everything you do will be born from rest. It won't be from striving against sin. The labor, whatever it might be that will come out of you, will be the grace of God. It will be His life working in you. Mm -hmm. Right? And then you know it's unto fruit that remaineth. And not corruptible fruit that you tried to bear yourself. Because anytime we see something in our our life that ain't right, we're busy trying to have a baby. (laughs) And the baby we're trying to have is the the good life we say we need or that we should have. And what we're fornicating with is our own strength, trying to produce the baby that's the right thing. Right? Well, then that's when you feel barren. (laughs) Right? I mean, you can't have a baby with yourself. I mean, ladies, I mean, you can't have a baby by yourself, can you? So what do you think is going to happen if you're busy fornicating with your own strength and your own works? The baby you you want to have, you ain't going to have. You're going to be barren. 
and unfruitful. Right? And so the baby you desire, which is the fruit of life, it comes from intimacy with the living God. It comes from intimacy with eternal life. It comes from intimacy with what he's done to perfect your life from sin and death already. We have such a struggle seeing corruption is sin. We have struck, stuck, such a struggle seeing injustice is sin. Our hearts know. That's why we get so upset. But we have such this mindset of bad behavior that we don't even realize how we're being tempted or how the world actually tempts. Right? I mean, listen, by the time you're committing adultery on your wife, you will, that's the fruit of having already been tempted. Do you know what the temptation was? Whatever thing you see between you and your wife that you say ain't right, whatever thing you think you should be getting from your relationship or from your spouse and you say you're not getting, you're being tempted to perfect what you say you're not getting from this. And that's how you end up in the bed with another woman. Now, the ending up in the bed, that's not the sin. And that's not what you were tempted with. You were tempted to perfect your life from whatever corruption you see in your relationship. And then you get busy doing that. Right? So if you say your wife is this way and that way, and she doesn't do this and she doesn't do that, and then all of a sudden you say it's not right, and you say that ought to be fixed, You've been tempted to perfect your life. And then all of a sudden you find a woman that you say does all those things. Or at least you think so. Well, what you don't realize, what you don't realize is there's a whole, that there's a whole lot of things that your wife does that you actually like and that this woman may not do those things that your wife likes, that, that you like that your wife does. She does the things you don't see that your wife does. And, and by the end of it all, you know what you'll conclude? I'm trying to get things out of my wife that I can only get from God. And then you let them off the hook. And you allow them the ability to just live innocently instead of living carrying the burden of your peace. We heap the burden of our peace onto people in our lives all of the time. We don't do it purposefully. It's not because we're evil little horn people in the corner and we're trying to cause destruction. It's a very innocent thing. When, when we're trying to get people to take on the burden of our peace... I just want to paint everybody the picture of what's actually going on in your heart. You're being nailed to a cross and you don't like it. That's when you heap the burden of your peace on other people. Because you want off the cross. And you think the answer to you getting off the cross lies in them. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so then you heap your salvation from the cross onto them. Well, you're not a SOB because you did that. Let's, let's just say what it is. You went off that cross. I get it. I know why you went off that cross. It's okay. God knows why you went off that cross. The thing is, your spouse is never going to get you off that cross. Your spouse can never save you from that feeling of the cross. Only the eternal life that's in God can save you from the feeling of the cross. Right? It's so easy that people are the God kind. It's so easy for us to look at people, and we don't even realize that we're doing it, but we're confusing them with God. Because when the invisible God chose to reveal himself, do you know what he looks like? You and me. And so we see other people, they look like God, even subconsciously. We don't realize, even the atheists don't realize, people look like God. So it seems like a natural thing to look to people to help us out with our peace and our love and our joy. It's a natural thing to look at people and think the peace and the love and the joy we need is found in what they do. 
Because something in our hearts tells us God looks like us. I mean, I said this at a Catholic uh, Christmas party once. But God didn't just make humans. He first thought up, it says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. That means he first thought up what he, where he wanted to live for all eternity. He first dreamt of what can give the greatest expression to all that I am and all that I have in myself. What's the way that I want to enjoy life for all eternity? Then he dreamt up human flesh. That's what I want to look like. That's what will really express me. Okay, now let's make a family that looks like that. <laughs> so when we see you, that's why it's so easy to see the people in our lives and to think that we can be perfected from whatever lack we feel by the people around us. Mm-hmm. And then what we do is we lay upon them the weight of God. Yes. Do you know the weight that comes upon a person when you have them in your heart in the place where only God can be? Oh man, like Hebrews says, laying, lay, laying aside the weight, laying down the weight. Right. You, know, right. you know what kind of weight it is to try to perfect your own life from sin? You know what kind of weight it is you heaping on somebody else when you're looking to them to perfect your life from the corruption you feel? Unbearable weight. There's no shame for us when we do that, guys. We don't say this so we can be ashamed. Hopefully we preach grace long enough where we could be honest with what we've experienced in this world and not feel ashamed about it and just start talking with God about it. We don't say this so we can feel ashamed. We say this so we can see what's happening when we feel that way. We're being nailed to a tree. Because I promise you, if when you're being nailed to a tree, if you actually saw what was happening to you as you were being nailed from the tree, you would never think that your spouse could save you from that. And you know where you'd be left? Abba! Right? Yes. Guess what, man? God hath perfected our lives from sin and death. He hath set us apart from corruption already. That which you desire, he has done. And the gospel is God setting in front of you the body of Christ. The body that had all corruption, all spots and blemishes in it. The body that looked like everything you despised, everything you wanted to be cleansed from. And then he shows you that same body having been cleansed and perfected from death and corruption, never to be touched by it again. I have cleansed your life. Your life is hid in him. There's no spots and blemishes in it. You're busy wanting the spots and blemishes to be gone from your life. Well, look, I did it. Oh, thank the Lord. All of a sudden, you're strengthened, right? To resist sin. Not resist doing the bad thing, but resist the temptation to perfect your life from sin because there's grace not to try to perfect your life from sin when you see he has perfected your life from sin. I remember my own life. I thought, I grew up as a little boy dreaming of being married. I even dreamt of what nationality the woman would be. And I mean, I had my mind on that. I dreamt, I mean, I'm like 12, 13. I had my mind on, oh, this is what it would feel like on my skin. Oh, that would be nice. Right? And so for the longest time, I strove against what I said was not right, meaning I didn't have anyone. Well, that left me suffering greatly, right? And listen, I dreamt of an Italian woman. You know how many Italian women I dated? Thinking, this is how I'm going to perfect my life? 
I mean, ultimately, I ended up married to an Italian woman. I mean, it's the strangest thing. But by that time, I had already given up that ghost. And I had four or five years not even dating no one. Because I realized, I didn't see it so clearly as I do now, but I realized what was in, going on in me was lust. Right? And that that was never going to equal that which I could enjoy. Right? right. right? I, I, I thought getting married was the seal of the deal on my life. And so that brought forth lust in me, which caused me not to have a sound mind. I was striving against sin. Do you right. see? It wasn't right for me not to have someone. Wow. Striving against sin. Right? Striving against injustice. I'm going to make straight this which is crooked. Do you see? And that left me all the time with the works of the flesh coming out of me. Sure. And whatever I found, which I found stuff. Listen, man, it was never unto enjoyment. I promise you that. <laughs> it was unto great pain and suffering. <laughs> right? And so then, I mean, I still, I look back and I can, I can explain it more clearly now. I didn't know, I couldn't explain what happened inside of me, but that's when I said, well, I ain't dating nobody. And I swore off all interaction. Ladies, it wasn't you, it was me. So it's not that I had a problem with women. It's that I just saw there was something crooked in me. My view of this was not born from life, right? So I spent four or five years not searching for anyone. And then I run into Becky, right? So I'm just trying to give as many personal examples about what striving against sin could look like, right? Because, see, I was being nailed to the tree because I said it's only right for me to have a wife. And when I didn't have a wife and I didn't see myself with a wife, the, that's the world nailing me to a tree, Coming down off the tree was I was going to perfect myself from not having a wife. Mm. Right? I'm going to clothe myself by finding a wife. Now listen, because I was trying to clothe myself with a wife, that was unto lots of destruction. Yeah. <laughs> right? And that destruction nearly killed me. I mean, in one of the relationships, it was so volatile. I remember me and this girl, I mean, Italian girls, no offense to Italian people. No one's, I mean, Becky swears I'm Italian. You see my hands moving around? You see the fire coming out of me? So me and Italian people, we're the same. But one, in one of these instances with this Italian girl and her, and her and I just like coming at it, I mean, I ended up with a gun to my head, right? And I mean, and I'm a man with passion. And when I get fired up, I could do something that ought not to have been done when I'm fired up like that. Who was holding the gun? You Me. I was holding the gun to my own head. Wow. Right? So you see how that was not the fruit of life? Yeah. yeah. That's what came forth for me trying to come down off the cross. You see? Yeah. Well, being married to a half Italian, half Cajun woman, <laughs> I've discovered that all you need is an ignition source. <laughs> on a serious note when I was a little kid something traumatic happened to me and when something when you have trauma in your life it's a perfect time for God for uh, the, the, not God but for uh, the enemy to plant in your mind a conclusion mm -hmm. that, that you can actually say becomes a vow V-O-W a vow and my vow as a, uh, as a young kid was, I'm never going to depend on anyone else. And what that really meant was, I'm only going to depend on myself. Yep. And what that also meant is, I ain't going to depend on God. Right? Yep. Right. 
that was striving against sin. That was striving against sin. Yeah, because you saw that corruption came from you depending on other people. And to this day, it's very, very uncomfortable for me to accept help from anybody, even if it's moving a dresser. Yeah, so it's not a simple thing like that. <clears throat> but having experienced some severe uh, back pain recently, I was like, and I can't do anything. I'm just going to depend on God. Mm. So that that was like a sweet thing. It, it is under sweetness, like the candy bank. But I still plug there. <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't help but, but not do it. And, and again, in your own life, that's one of the reasons why if you actually do need help and you see someone possesses the ability to help, if they don't, you feel that same angst. Yeah. That same uncomfortableness. That's right. I'm right. I'm going to ask you to help me unless I'm convinced you're going to say Right. This. And if they don't, if you say no, that's you're right say back no. to that, yeah. that feeling. And so I don't say all this so you could say, okay, I'm trying to get down off the cross. I got to stop doing that. Right. If that's what you just heard, then you're listening. The carnal mind has gotten in your ear and trying to mingle my words. Right. We said that so you could see that whatever it is you think you can do, it can't save you from the cross. Only the eternal life of God can save you because that's the only thing that can perfect your conscience from the corruption you see. See, we think we can perfect what's happening in our conscience from the corruption we see. You can't, right? right? Only God and his life can. And so we say all that, not so you try to use your strength to stay up on the cross or so that you judge yourself for the times you come down off the cross. God doesn't even judge you from coming down off the cross. Why are you going to judge yourself? So this isn't about, oh, look at all the times I come down off the cross. I'm a loser. That's not what it's about. We explain these dynamics. I'm trying to discern your life for you yes. and discern your heart for you right. so you could see what's happening. You could get a clear picture of what will save you in that day. Because that's where grace will be born in you. And the grace will resist for you. And the grace will cause you to look to the eternal life of God who has perfected me from the corruption I don't like. I don't like this corruption. I want it to be gone. Oh yeah, God already perfected my life from this corruption. Look, that will save you. Mm -hmm. Right? And one of the things that happens, and you've heard this before, but it's always good to be reminded, right? Yes. Is, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the crops that pops up overnight is... You come out and you say, the shame is gone. Yeah. And that's that's uh that's an aspect of innocence. Yep. Is man, I used to be so ashamed of fill in the blank. And then you wake up and say, I don't even think about it anymore. Right. I don't even think about it anymore. Right. One of the things that breaks my heart, if we want to call it this, the grace movement, those people who came out of Egypt, but they're still wandering in the wilderness. They still can't handle having a conversation about what's coming out of their life that might not be born from right. life. Yeah. They're so wrapped up in, no, 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 no. I'm sinless, I'm sinless, I'm sinless. Well, their idea of sinless isn't what the scriptures talk about. And so they're never just at rest in the presence of death manifesting out of them and free to connect with Abba about it. Because they feel so much shame at the death they still see coming out of their life that they can't even conversate about it with God or anybody else. Well, if that's where your grace has left you, your grace is impotent. Right? And it breaks my heart for that. The, the, the gospel ought to lead you to the place where you see, if you, you see yourself as naked and you feel no shame about it at all, and so you're perfectly comfortable talking about the nakedness 
and you're perfectly comfortable about talking about how you tried to clothe yourself. And you're perfectly comfortable talking about what came out of you when you tried to clothe yourself. You're perfectly comfortable talking about it with people around you, with God. And that's where you'll find your life being clothed upon by God, right? Because if you're still, if you still can't, if you can't talk about the death that's coming out of your life without feeling condemned, you know it's not grace. I can honestly say I feel zero condemnation for what comes out of my life. You know what that does inside of you? Abba. Yeah, you know what? You know what? About contrary to the carnal mind, how about this? You can even laugh about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can laugh about it. You could do like a net. Confess your faults to one another. The grace people have gotten in this. The, the grace people have gotten into this place, and I say the grace people. I'm one of them. There's no condemnation, but we we've gotten ourselves in this place where we're so we're I'm the righteousness of God or Christ Jesus that we can't even acknowledge that something coming out of us ain't born from God. Lest we feel full of shame. And then, should somebody talk about, well, that ain't the fruit. Well, you're condemning me. Yeah. What does the proverb say? A wise person loves correction. Mm-hmm. What does the correction of the Lord look like? Love. Love. Right? A person does not love you if they see what's hurting you and causing death to come out of you and they don't talk with you. They don't love you. They love themselves. They love how they want to feel comfortable in your presence more than they love your life, which is one of the things I did. And I thought that was loving people. No, I loved myself feeling comfortable in people's presence more than I loved their lives. Mm. A stupid example, but it's like uh, you're with somebody and they have something stuck in their teeth. You don't want to be the one to tell them. But it's better that you tell them. Yeah, it's better that you tell them. It's better. It's better that you tell them. Because we got here this morning, my dear friend said, Cindy, you need a Kleenex. You got something right here. In other words, I had a booger in my nose, and it was showing, and my dear friend Deb told me. Hallelujah. And I'm so glad she did. Deb is in the image and likeness of God. That's what friends do. That's what friends do. Jesus had boogers. Yeah. Yeah. Michelle, were you going to say something? You can title that. Jesus had boogers. Don't ever quit saying the same Please. truth over and over Absolutely. again because it does make a difference in people that really are searching and want yeah, yeah. this stuff. You know, it's like with not having a house for two years and now having a very beautiful house, I was miserable for this past week. And it's like I sat and said, Lord. Why am I so miserable? It's like for two years. I mean, I just wanted to pack up and go to my little camper. You know? But Friday at the ladies' Bible study, I couldn't even read our Bible study because I'd just start crying. And because I'd been crying out to the Lord, why? What's going on here? You know? And huge difference in talking with the ladies talking about life and that what I'm feeling is natural because I'm shifting it's a whole different whole different 
atmosphere. <laughs> it's called being human. Mm-hmm. You know, but it made a huge difference. Because I talked with Rick on it about Thursday. I said, I don't know. And he said, what do you want me to do about it? I said, nothing, just mm-hmm. listen to me. Mm-hmm. And if the Lord gives you something for encouragement. That's powerful. Mm-hmm. I said, just encourage and stuff. But it was when I left Bible study on Friday. It was like this huge weight come off. Yeah. And I, I know there's still stuff in there that he's got to wash out yet and stuff. You know? And it's it's more about your judgments of yourself that he's going to be washing out. You see how you were being tempted to perfect her life from sin? It's not okay that my wife feels this way. I got to do something about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? right. She gave you, she helped you. You see you thought she was in her time of need, but her time of need was also your time of need. Mm-hmm. Right? And she actually was what the scripture would call a helpmate. Nothing. I don't want you to do anything. I just want you to listen to me. Right? Mm-hmm. And what she, the only thing that's helpful in that moment is the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And Deb, it's like, why do I feel this way? Do you know why you feel that way? Because you are clothed in perishable flesh that can feel weakness. That's why you feel that way. You see, when you make that conclusion, all of a sudden there's nothing else to try to figure out. Yeah, and then you see the answer is a flesh that can't die. And you just start connecting with God. You don't judge yourself evil because you feel how you feel. Because you're a human. Right, and that's how the feeling of weakness tries to come against us. It tries to get us to live by the knowledge of good and evil, which is weakness is evil. It's not consistent with life. So in the day I feel weakness, it must be a sign something's wrong, right? Well, you know what it's a sign of? You're clothed in a perishable body. Because the only reason why you could feel weakness is because you're clothed in perishable flesh. Perishable flesh feels weakness, (laughs) right? And so then you realize, hey, the judgments get removed then. And then you're just left with the feeling of weakness without the judgments. And then you're just fellowshipping with God, yeah. right? And even if you have the judgment before, you know enough to fellowship with God, he'll remove the judgments. Right. That's one of the reasons why I preached everything I did about God showing us his hands, yes. showing us his side, right? right? Yeah. And, and we're looking and we're like, and then we see God sweating blood. Mm. God, right? And then we see his eyes fill up with water when... We're talking to him about what we're going through, and he's telling us, I know. He's not just, I know. No. No, he's like, I know. Right? Right. I know. Right. And then you're like, God Almighty felt that. Well, how can there be anything freaking wrong with me for feeling it? Okay, now the judgment of evil is removed. (laughs) Right? Now your heart just got saved from that judgment of evil. Now... You're just communing with the God who knows. Well, guess what? The strength for your perishable flesh that feels weakness is contained in eternal life. <laughs> right? That will keep you. You see? I think it's Romans 5.10. I'm not good with memory verses, but I think it's Romans 5.10. It says, how much more will we be saved by his life? That's right. That's exactly right. And you just hit the nail on the head. That's exactly mm-hmm. what we're talking about. But we got to see he knows. Because the judgment of I'm evil because I feel this. What's wrong with me because I feel this? To use the scripture pictures, that's what caused Adam to run and hide. The judgment that this weakness is evil, what's wrong with me that I feel it, that's what causes you to run and hide normally. (laughs) Right? And so when the judgment can be plucked out, 
This weakness is not a sign, right, that I'm evil, that something is wrong with me. Man, that's when you're not running from Abba. You're running to Abba, Mm. right? And you could be at different stages in the process. You could know enough about Abba that you could still have the beginning of a judgment that this isn't right, what's wrong with me, but you know enough to connect with him. I did that for the longest time because I knew enough that this guy, I'm beautiful to this guy. So even if I judge myself as evil, this guy doesn't. Right, And so I knew enough to connect with him, but one of the first things he did was pluck out my judgment of what's wrong with me that I feel this way. Right? And he showed me Jesus sweating blood. And at first just felt nice that Jesus, the Son of Man, sweat blood. Right? But then he was like, Greg, I think you're missing the bigger picture, bro. That's me. That's me. When I stood in the face of what you encounter every day, clothed in perishable flesh, I sweat blood. I know we're running a little late, so I'll make this quick. When I was a little kid, I got this bad splinter in my hand. And I heard my parents talking about it. My dad said, I think we got to cut his finger off. <laughs> he was joking. Yeah, I, didn't, I, didn't know, I didn't know it. <laughs> so I, I went and hid. I went and hid in the closet. I've said that. See, I'm not going to go to my father. I think he's going to hurt me. Yeah. Even with something that was hurting me, yeah. I wasn't going to go to him because he was going to hurt me worse. That's right. Yeah. Twist on those things, man, oh, man. And, and the things we talk about today, and come with thoughts and questions, right? That's so good. It's edifying. I posted on the thing today. I'm trying to get in the habit of posting that I'm checking into church. I don't know if you guys realize how excited I am to come to church every Sunday, right? I'm excited because I know that there's a treasure in me, but there's a treasure in each one of you, right? You're all carrying a treasure that uh, supplies to the body. It edifies all of us and exhorts all of us unto the love of God. It says each joint supplying to the body that which will edify and exhort unto love. Now we receive the nutrient that causes us to be a joint that supplies from the head that is Christ. But man, I'm excited to come because there's a treasure in all you guys. We're all going to come together. And you know what that tells me? We can all be edified and exhorted unto the love of God. Amen. Amen. Right? Yes. And so these things we say, if they're connecting with something in your heart, if they're connecting with thoughts, if they're connecting with dreams, if they're connecting with images, if they're connecting with uh, your life, man, bring those to the table. You're a joint. In that joint, you're a part of the body. And part of what's in you supplies and edifies. Right? Does that make sense? Does everybody understand that? I'm not putting some yoke on you. You don't have to. But as the Word does something in you and discerns your life from you and brings things up for you, man, plop those things out on the table. Right? right. It will exhort and edify all of us unto the love of God. Amen. Amen. Right? Amen. Glory to God. Thank you.